This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Today we are going to have a very interesting discussion around religion, spirituality and sport and explore how different worldviews shape how people make sense of involvement in sport and physical cultures. Especially in Europe, a growing number of people choose not to be affiliated with organized religion, but does it mean that they reject everything religious? And does sport have something to offer for spiritual life, at least for some? I'm delighted to have Dr. Teemu Pauha from the University of Helsinki discussing with me today. Teemu is a university lecturer at the Faculty of Theology, whose research has explored, for example, religious and national identities of young Finnish Muslims and the role of religion in intergroup relations. Teemu is a long-term martial arts practitioner, and we also had a recent very interesting collaboration on a project on sport and religion which we will also discuss in this podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Teemu, and thanks so much for finding the time for our conversation. Thank you, Nora, for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing where we end up as well. And we've had so many interesting discussions around the concepts of religion and spirituality and what they mean for people in in the European context, where we know that many people are no longer affiliated with with the church or they might not be active in the organized religion. And I think it would be just a really nice introduction. You've done work on religious, spiritual and atheist identities in Europe and in other secular contexts. So maybe we can just explore a little bit first the religious landscape in Europe and where we are today. Yeah, well, um, it's kind of a tricky, uh, difficult issue to... um sum it up in a really concisely but i guess we could say that uh, a few broad general developmental trends are that well increasing diversification so on one hand uh, we have increasing what many people call secularization in the sense of many people are cutting ties with institutionalized churches institutionalized religion but on the other hand, we have a um, large number number of people who are involved in and interested in alternative religiosities or alternative spiritualities in, in many different forms. So, for example, the number of Muslims in Europe is increasing due to immigration, but also due to conversion, that people convert into Islam. But also many different other kinds of groups, including Buddhism and different kinds of spirituality, what is quite often called spiritualities of life are on the increase as well. So on on one hand, we have increasing non-religion, but on the other hand, we have increasing diversification. But what, what seems to be losing ground is this large national churches 
that uh, have since the Westphalian Treaty and the Thirty Years' War, uh, war have been kind of the typical way how religion has been organized in, in Europe. That seems to be changing. Yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned this kind of spirituality of life or having this other form of spirituality. And I've always a little bit wrestled with the concept of spirituality. I think I'm not the only one because it's so ambiguous and in different cultural contexts, it's also understood differently that, I mean, some scholars would argue that spirituality is kind of a subcomponent of religion, that it's the private and personal uh, relationship to the sacred. Whereas, would you agree that it's maybe the more common or in, in research, at least, it's more commonly viewed as spirituality is this broader type of perspective on life. And one subcomponent would be this organized religion, but spirituality would be a lot broader than that. So there is this kind of ambiguity. So where, where do we stand in terms of conceptualizing religious and spiritual identity? And can you maybe reflect on how people, for example, in the secularized Northern Europe make sense of these identities. Yeah, you're definitely right that spirituality is a tricky concept and it really depends on a lot on who is using the concept, on what, it, what is meant by it. If we talk about spirituality as, as an ethic, ethic concept, so the one concept used by uh, academics, I also think that there's uh, kind of different disciplinary traditions on what is meant by it. I think it's more common among psychologists, especially to consider spirituality in the way that you described, that it's kind of the privatized aspect of, of religion. It's the inner experience and experiential aspect of religion and that shuns all the organized forms and all that, that kind of thing. So I, I think that's definitely the way most psychologists of religion use the term. Uh, sociologists of religion who are more interested in this broader so social change that is said to be undergoing in, in Europe, they quite often add something when they use the term spirituality. So Healers and Woodhead, they talk about new spiritualities of life and, and so on and so forth. So they use some kind of an, some add something to the term just to make clear what they mean by that. When we use spirituality as an emic concept, so the concept that is used by non-academics, the common people who identify with spirituality so, or, or don't, then, then there's definitely a historical shift in what is meant by the concept. So for a long time, spirituality has, it's an old concept, but for a long time, it was something that was a part of church life. So it's, it's one aspect of being religious and definitely not something that you practice on your own outside of the, outside of an organized tradition. So that's, that's kind of a new, new idea involved in, in the term and the way it is used. A group that it has, that many uh, religion scholars are very interested in these days, myself included, is, is this so-called SBNR. Uh, that is the people who answer in surveys, survey, survey questionnaires and censuses that they identify themselves as spiritual, but not religious. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a very interesting group of people. So to study what they mean by that. But I, I also find spirituality a tricky concept because of all this, that it's, it's so ambiguous that it, it depending on the context, uh, it can mean very different things. And, and that, that is also why whenever using the term spirituality, I feel the need to clarify some, somehow what I, what I mean by the term. Yeah. And this spiritual, but not religious, 
that's the interesting concept that has also attracted your attention. And I've certainly thought about that as well a lot in my running studies. So let's look into that a little bit. So you were saying it's interesting to find out what these people think about how do they make sense of being spiritual but not religious. So what what do we know about that? Well, it seems that uh, in among these people and in this context, what is meant by spirituality is quite often this kind of vague, general, broad idea of things that have to do with uh, experiences of or or sublime or flow flow experiences or some kind of experiences of union or connection or understanding of some more general reality of values existential questioning of philosophies of life and this kind of a questing approach to questioning approach to uh, to life and these kinds of aspects that people are pondering existential questions and trying to create meaning in their life, but without deriving it from some definite religious tradition. They might use the tools or concepts or, uh, or, or traditions of certain religions, but they quite often are not committed to it. That is also why spirituality has become kind of an, at least a couple of years back, it used to be a popular concept among certain atheists who who kind of, as a reacti- reaction to this very anti-religious trend of new atheism, Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett and these others who wrote very anti-religious atheist books, that as a little bit of a counter-reaction to that, there was certain... Uh, several atheists, quite often of a more philosophical vein, who wrote books uh, on spirituality for atheists. And there also was this idea of that atheists can be interested in spiritual questions, existential questions, and and looking for meaning in their lives, and also use ideas that they get from religious traditions in that search, but quite often not limiting themselves to any specific school of thought or a specific religion and this makes it all very complicated so yeah 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 yeah, it definitely does yeah and you've done some work on looking at how this atheist and spiritual and religious identity how they might how people negotiate between them and it already sounds clear that it's not just three separate boxes but there are like loads of interactions and overlaps as well yeah, definitely. It's not really that the boundaries are blurred. So people, and they, and they are also contextual that people may identify as atheists in a certain context, but then, then on the other context or some other stage of life, they might have beliefs and practices that very much resemble those of traditional religion. Or people might practice religion or religious traditions, but give another meaning to them that kind of Typical examples, at least in Finnish context, is people who identify themselves as atheists getting married in the church or celebrating Christmas, Christmas or other Christian, Christian holidays, but giving another different meaning to them. So it's not really a fixed division between that there's a clear cut boundary between atheists and believers and, and you can always say who belongs to to which category Mm, yeah and i think i heard earlier one word that is or one topic that is very often in in sport research which is flow and there is like so much work being done on flow in sport and often it's looked into in terms of how people can perform better or stay motivated to do sport and that would be flow would be one aspect that people are looking into but you are 
linking that to that more uh, search for or this more spiritual quest, which is obviously a, a different question. And just to mention in, in sport research, sport psychology, for example, there used to be more interest also on like Zen in sport or finding this kind of Zen zone. And mindfulness is one of these other big concepts although it has been quite strongly disconnected from that more spiritual framework. So it's thought more as a technique of being focused in the present moment and so on. But anyway, some of these traces of what you talk about, this spirituality for non-religious people, maybe some of those exist in some movement cultures and sport cultures. So maybe we can move to making some links to movement and sport. What is quite often one characteristic uh, of these new spiritualities of life that is quite often mentioned by scholars that whereas traditional religion as is as it is commonly conceived of is focuses on something transcendental, something that is beyond our everyday life, something that is in a in a reality of its own. Uh, the these new spiritualities are more focused on immanence, so to, so the everyday life, what is happening around us, and also finding about finding meaning in that. So finding meaning in our everyday lives and in our surroundings, and also because of that, also from our own bodies. So embodiment is a is a big theme in research of spirituality. So quite often it's spiritualities are linked to alternative health practices or alternative uh, medicine or complementary medicine but also i very much see it as linked to movement and sport because what what could be more related to our bodies than moving about and using our bodies so in that sense i think also the link between because of this immanence and uh, it being about everyday and about be, being about our own bodies and finding meaning in our own bodies i think uh, think the connection between the new spiritualities and, and movement of sport is it's there. Yeah, that's extremely interesting. And I think because you have a very long background of being a martial arts practitioner and being involved in in many of these martial arts cultures, I think it would be very interesting maybe to look into that, these subcultures in, in movement. And um, just because martial arts, there is this idea that they are based on a more spiritual approach movement so whether this is also the case in when we are talking about secular european context and if so can you maybe make some links to this more spirituality of life type of approach and and martial arts uh, cultures been doing martial arts since i was 10 years old so what is that like almost 30 years by now yeah. and i tried out quite a number of different uh, styles and some of them I've done for a longer time and others not so long time. But I, uh, what I've experienced myself is that the different styles and different groups, different schools have their own cultures in this sense. And they might relate very differently to this kind of deeper questions that people might have. And, and perhaps they also attract different kinds of people. So at least based on my own experience of different Styles and schools, I have the impression that uh, there are certain martial arts styles that have, um, I don't know, they have this kind of a brand of being more open or being more about 
spiritual search, and that is why they might also attract that kind of people. These are styles that quite often uh, are not competitive, so they don't organize competitions, don't have any on any rules or regulations for organizing competitions, and they also have their tradition in the East Asia and and also have this kind of a tradition of having a historical link with some spiritual or religious tradition. The styles that I have in mind and that I personally have experience of are those kind of like Aikido or, or styles related to it or or certain forms of Kung Fu, Tai Chi, for example. They they have this aura of being about spiritual search, and I think that is also why they might attract people who are interested in in these kinds of issues. Mm. Then, on the other hand, of other end, end of the spectrum, there are these uh, modern self self defense styles. I'm thinking Krav Maga or Defendo or, or Senshido or that kind of, of styles that have been. Uh, that are relatively modern and have very explicitly a self-defense purpose or, or or military purpose, and that attracts a different kind of people, or, or that is at least my impression. So, I, based on discussions I've had in in locker rooms and uh, and on mats, I, I think people don't necessarily go to those kinds of styles for in order to search for a deeper purpose or a spiritual purpose of their lives, or at least they frame it differently. So vocabulary as, that is being used to discuss the purpose of doing those kinds of styles is different. Uh, so so it's framed differently, The at least the purpose for why people go into those kinds of styles. And then, then on the other hand, there are also the more competitive styles of martial arts. I'm thinking BJJ or mixed martial arts or uh, judo or these kinds of styles that uh, have this very competition-oriented tradition, or at least many schools do, and uh, also that frames quite a lot of the practice and how people discuss their motives when practicing. So I, I think that's why people do martial arts and how it is related to existential or meaning-oriented questions. It comes down to culture of the style, culture of the school, but also it might be that, on the other hand, I'm a little bit hesitant on this, but because I think that it also might be the case that people might find similar kinds of things from different kinds of arts, but just frame them differently, discuss them with different in different terms. Yeah, I think interestingly, just to share that uh, when I was doing some research with young athletes, about 19, 20 years old, and and we had one judoka, he was a religious Christian, faith was very important for him. And, and he, when I was asking whether he relates judo to a kind of spiritual worldview, and, and he said that most certainly not, that it's the same as playing football or, or doing any other sport, that he doesn't want to kind of mix this kind of Eastern spiritualities to judo because that would be against his Christian faith. So his way of dealing with that dilemma was to frame judo, just like I said, the same as, as playing football. So it's just a secular and a neutral activity which doesn't have any intrinsic uh, spiritual uh, principles tied into it. So. I thought that was just quite interesting and, and quite different from what we often hear in terms of people wanting to see these practices to have some kind of spiritual component built in. And I guess that's easier to do with certain 
stars than with others. So if you are doing judo, you can. It's easy for you to justify your practice or make make sense of your practice in terms of it be it being about competition or, or physical fitness or, or those those kinds of things. But if you are doing key aikido or tai chi, then it's a lot more difficult to frame your practice and make sense of it in 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 that kind of way. Yeah, but you also mentioned before we started recording our conversation that of course these martial arts cultures change as they are uh, migrating from place to another and and for example when they come to a secular Finnish context for example so maybe you can just reflect a bit you gave karate as an example so maybe we can talk about that cultural adaptation of these practices a little bit yeah yeah my my own I could probably say primary style these days is karate or or the thing that I've done for the, the longest and and there's of course this change has been it's easy to to see because there's a major change that has happened several times so karate as many people know its origins are in the okinawan uh, ryukyu islands the blotches of which is okinawa uh, in uh, south from the mainland japan where it used to be historically speaking very much a military style or self-defense style so so uh, it was about harming other people killing other people injuring other people so uh, based on best knowledge that i have it used to be a for example some uh, used to play a similar similar role to how Krav maga plays in israel these days so it's a military style that was practiced for example by people serving as guards or similar kinds of security keeping duties but okinawa was pretty much destroyed wiped out during the Second World War. And that is why quite all, quite much, quite a lot of what we know about, about karate in the early days and in, in Okinawa, it's, it, it was lost because many, the whole island was pretty much destroyed and many, many old karate senseis lost their lives in, in, in the Second World War. But where karate continued was uh, on the mainland Japan. And there, there it changed. It used to be earlier on in Okinawa. It used used to be something that was taught by a teacher to a small group of pupils, possibly only like one single pupils, and it was very much adapted to the individual needs of individual students. Whereas in mainland Japan, it became a group sport. So there, it, uh, there it was organized for. It became some something that was taught and instructed to a large, large number of people and also became to serve very much military purposes. And that's why the old forms, katas, they, that used to be kind of in Okinawa, used to be kind of very individual forms to, uh, to learn certain move, movement patterns. Uh, those became more like choreographies that, that were taught to a large number of people and then that lost their immediate connection to self-defense situations and also what happened uh, was that especially after after the war when there was by the united states military it was practice of combat oriented or military oriented styles was very much limited the karate also it became sportified so uh, it was turned into a sport and and the forms the katas they further lost their connection to violent context for which they were developed previously and it became more and more um, sport-oriented art and that development continued when karate moved from mainland japan especially to america brought especially by the uh, united states military personnel who had served in the 
in Japan, and they, of course, having no connection to the how karate how karate was originally practiced in Okinawa, having no connection to that, they taught further the art as they had learned it in mainland Japan and also interpreted it through their own own eyes, and that's how karate became in the Western context very much very different to what it uh, originally was. So there has been several different changes that have taken place in the development of karate as a, as a martial art. Yeah, I think that's a really good overview. And I think it's so fascinating how these different movement cultures develop. And, and of course, sportification, which, which is something you mentioned that's so important to keep in mind in a way that some of these movement cultures that might have had maybe a more spiritual component sometimes they are then transformed more into into a sport and that's something that is not only martial arts but in many other so to say alternative movement cultures or sport cultures for example the olympics is always a big debate around which sports are going to the olympics and whether that's a good thing for that sport or movement culture activity or not so for example these lifestyle sports skateboarding and snowboarding and other things when they are going to olympics that might also have an impact on in terms of how people make meaning of of that activity and how the competition might change the values and practices in in these different activities so i i think those are like really important and interesting discussions to be held and maybe just a comment when you said on that many of these activities where this maybe spiritual component might be stronger or where you have more people who might have these spiritual questions and and that movement culture as a context for exploring these questions. You mentioned that often there is no competition. So would there be some kind of framing as competition being some in some ways antithetical to that uh, spiritual perspective? That's a good question. Um, I think it's based on my my very own own experience or hunch that i I've, I've got from from my years of practice is that it's quite often not explicitly framed that way but i i guess it's uh, it's quite often the underlying idea is that when practicing aikido i've heard many people saying with pride that aikido is not a competition sport there is mm-hmm. no competition so that that isn't the purpose of aikido or its goal is not to win in a competition and but it, the goal of aikido is something something deeper or something more more fundamental so i i guess that's at, that's at least part of the of the culture is that it's uh, that that competition as, as you said that it's it, it's some, somehow viewed as being in contradiction with the these more spiritually or existentially oriented quests that that might motivate people to be involved in the, these kinds of stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting, and certainly something that we should explore further in in some of our <laughs> research projects. Yeah, maybe to close up for the first part of our conversation there is a little there's more interest in in looking at spirituality in in sport with sports scholars not nothing massive but like a few studies have been emerging in the last five ten years a little bit more than maybe before and so when people who are uh, working with these topics from a sport 
background, sports research, sports psychology, sports sociology background, but who don't have that religious studies background. Maybe from that perspective, do you have some thoughts on what would be like important things to consider from from your point of view, from from your field when trying to understand this, how spirituality and physical cultures and sport might interact? Well, my own, I'm a little bit, as we already, at the start of this discussion, we talked about the ambiguity that is involved in the term spirituality, and it might mean a number of things depending on who is using the term. And because of that, and the same applies to the term religion, so it's not not an easy concept either. Uh, the religion scholars have debated among, we have debated among ourselves for the past 200 years what is religion, we still <laughs> are nowhere near answering that question. And I kind of am the opinion that it's, both of those are two, two broad umbrella terms. That mm-hmm. both religion and spirituality, they em- encompass too many different things to be useful really as analytical concepts. We might study what what our informants mean by those concepts. So when I'm int- very very interested actually when studying, for example, martial artists, what and they, and if they use the term spirituality to refer to their their practice, I would be very interested to know what what they mean by that. So as concept that is used by the our interlocutors, or the people that we are studying, studying how they are using the concept, that is very interesting. But but as analytical concepts used used by scholars, then I'm I think spirituality and religion are really too broad to be of much use and. Because of that, I kind of would opt for using more specific terms in their stead. So, for example, we already talked about flow. So instead of using spirituality, we might be more specific and talk about flow. We might talk about existential questions. We might talk about meaning making. If we are talking about religion, then we might talk about rituals. We might talk about values. We might talk about narratives. So so being more specific, what we are studying instead of talking very with this very uh, very broad and very vague concepts. That would be one thing that I have in mind. And I also think that quite often psychologists have this a priori understanding that there is, for example, this some kind of a universal spirituality that it, that everyone has, and that that is somehow then realized. That that's that that underlies all the culturally diverse religious practices and beliefs that there's certain some kind of an underlying spirituality behind all them and that's universal to all people i'm well i'm very much cultural psychology oriented myself and i kind of am hesitant to talk about broad human universals i'm I'm more into contextually specific tick descriptions of phenomena and people's behavior. So I would be very, very hesitant to presume any kind of universal spirituality, for example, and, uh, and study more, more defined, better defined, more kind of uh, more specific contexts and phenomena in, in this state. Yeah, I think those are really important considerations. And often in sports studies, Relation to the in relation to the first point that sometimes religion and spirituality are used interchangeably, so they are made even even broader. So mm. that that would be again we talked that there might be some important conceptual differences, and just like you make the point, spiritualities or or religion they are such huge <laughs> umbrella terms. So we would do well to specify 
more more clearly which which concepts are of interest and and in that way narrow down a little bit yeah i think really really interesting reflections and certainly that cultural psychology element is something that is important to think through and and debate as well and and that will help us to also move forward in terms of understanding that spiritual dimension in sport so yes wonderful let's finish up for first part and we have a little break and in the second part we talk about christian mma yeah thanks so much thanks Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old-school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.